Today on the Locked On Hornets podcast, LaMelo Ball finally gets his triple-double. Mark Williams put on a block party, along with Nick Richards, too. I'm joined by Nick Carboni. We'll break it all down today on the Locked On Hornets podcast. We're Locked On Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. I'm Doug Branson. I'm over on the left-hand side. I'm usually on the right-hand side, joined by Walker Mail. He's out today. He's playing hooky. Uh, if you hear him on WFNZ, just know that's, that's when you know he likes them more. Uh, but it's good news because that means I'm joined uh, by Nick Carboni of WCNC. Nick, what's going on? What's up, Doug? Yeah, it's tough when you're on radio or television to like cancel plans on people because then you just have to hope that they don't watch you or listen to you at your regular job. <laughs> like, hey, That's right. you were on TV and you, you sounded fine. You know, right. You it's, well, it's like, yeah, it's like, call, it's like calling out of school, you know, when you were younger and you then you can't play video games because if you're playing video games, right. you're not sick. Right. And so that's, exactly. yeah, if you hear Walker on WFNZ, you know, they played hooky on locked on and that's okay. Look, he's he leaving me in the left hand side. That's dangerous. That's what he's doing is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so that's on him. Whatever happens on today's show, whatever is said, I just want everyone to know it's on Walker mail. You can attribute anything that I say today to Walker Mail, not to me. <laughs> These are uncharted Our- waters for the Lockdown Hornets podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you can find more of my thoughts, my musings on my uh, Substack. It's called Every Hornets Box Score at everyhornetsboxscore.com. Fun one that I did because the Hornets get a win over the San Antonio Spurs. 120 to 110 is the final score. We've got a couple of things to recap from that game and then stick around because in the final segment of today's show, Nick and I will do a segment uh, that we do whenever Nick is on the show called What Did We Learn? But it's going to be a first half of the season or pre-All-Star break edition of What Did We Learn About the Charlotte Hornets. But first, let's get into this game. Final game before the All-Star break. They get the win over San Antonio. Expected. I mean, they were favored by seven points. They end up winning by 10. I think the big story here, though, Nick, uh, is LaMelo Ball, who finally gets a triple-double. He's been flirting with it for three games now. In two of those games, he was one rebound away. Now he finally gets it. 28 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. I'm going to ask you the same question that Walker and I asked each other in the last episode. What's gotten into LaMelo Ball? (laughs) Yeah, I think he likes getting triple-doubles. I mean, they told him at halftime last (laughs) night, uh, you know, and and who doesn't? But I I think LaMelo really kind of likes, you know, adding to that total. That's nine now for his career, a franchise record, uh, and he'll shatter that at some point when it's all said and done. But, um, you know, he likes getting triple-doubles. He likes helping the team in a variety of ways. He likes doing a, a variety of things on the basketball floor and, you have to love a player like that. I mean, he is just doing a whole lot. He's he's rebounding a little more. It was funny. I know you guys mentioned Steve Clifford's uh, joke, I guess, the other night. I was mm, in the press conference. Joke. It was like, I had to be like, is he <laughs> Ask LaMelo about the rebounding because he had six that night and he was four shy of a triple-double. So they told him at halftime last night, uh, basically he was, he was going to get there if he kept doing what he was doing, and he did. So um, I love it. I mean, you, you know, you look at some of the best players in the league and all that they do, 
and how well-rounded they are. Luca, LeBron, obviously, and now Lamelo's the second youngest to a thousand points, rebounds, and assists. Uh, the the only player to do it younger than Lamelo was LeBron James. So I think it's great. Um, hopefully, it attracts another superstar down the road. But that's a different conversation. I think you make a great point in that LaMelo Ball identifies as someone who can do a little bit of everything. And I think, honestly, a lot of young players understand now that that is the new game because because the game is so fast, because there are so many more possessions than in years past, you know, the, the star players in this league do, unless they are like physical freaks, they do a little bit of everything. And, and LaMelo was certainly doing that. And, and I thought in the third quarter, he was definitely hunting that assist in the yeah. pick and roll with Nick Richards at times. But as Steve Clifford said after the game, LaMelo still, you know, despite looking for that triple-double, he maintains a level of competitiveness that is that is unique for anyone in the league and I think signifies what LaMelo is capable of if he keeps, you know, improving on certain aspects of his game. Uh, so here's another question that I've been thinking about. You know, post-trade deadline, they get rid of McDaniels. They they send Mason Plumley to the Clippers. And this is something that I, I can't remember if it was a comment on my Substack or, or a tweet, but someone sort of brought this up. Like, was was Mason Plumley holding LaMelo Ball back a little bit? Like, was Plum Dog Millionaire? Was Point Plumley holding yeah. LaMelo back to a certain extent? Because ever since the, the trade deadline, he has been on fire with Mark Williams at the center position. Yeah, it is funny. Um, you know, yeah, it, it, you're depending on guys to make shots, high percentage shots, obviously. Uh, Mark Williams, I don't think there's anybody on the team better. I, you know, Mason Plumley was having the best year of his life, but uh, when you get down to that three-foot range around the rim, nobody's going to be better and more efficient at putting it away than Mark Williams. So, yeah, certainly that helps LaMelo. Maybe it helps LaMelo that uh, an assist hawker like Mason Plumley isn't out there on the floor anymore. I mean, he was the great mover of the basketball, as we all know. That was part of the allure for the Clippers to go and get him. Um, you know, you have some guys, you know, Gordon Hayward moves the ball pretty well, but now LaMelo is, you know, far and away the best guy at finding other players on the floor. Um, so maybe having uh, Mason out of there help, helps that a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, the, the rebounds too, because they're not a strong rebounding team especially without Mason Plumley, And so now LaMelo can step in. I think he's actually ticked up his rebounds a little bit too. Yo, absolutely. I mean, and that was the strange thing about LaMelo coming back from that first injury is he, he didn't look quite like the LaMelo ball that we had seen, you know, even in the, in the previous season. And one of those numbers that indicated that what was the rebounding number. And I think you're right on, <clears throat> on the Mason Plumley thing. Mason Plumley was taking some of his assists and, and, Mason Plumley, to his credit, was doing that without LaMelo Ball on the floor, you know, while LaMelo was injured. And he just, I think the offense sort of began to grow into Mason Plumley while LaMelo was off the floor. And that didn't really revert back once LaMelo got back. So he was taking some of the assists. And you're right. Mason Plumley was a far better rebounder than, than Mark Williams is now. And yeah. so LaMelo has been more aggressive on the boards. There were a couple of opportunities against San Antonio. Look, they gave up 20 offensive rebounds. But even mm. still, there were a few opportunities. They could have given up 23, 24, had it not been for LaMelo getting in there and grabbing the basketball. He's aggressive when it comes to rebounding. And I hope that rubs off on Mark Williams because we're going to talk about him in, in the second yeah. segment. But I'd love to see a little bit more aggressiveness from him on the boards. Final thing on LaMelo, as it relates to Mark Williams, you know, we've gotten a little game sample here of Mark Williams at center, of, of LaMelo Ball running the pick and roll with Mark. 
and and he got a few buckets in this one off that pick and roll Mark did against San Antonio. W- what have you thought of that relationship between LaMelo and Mark Williams in the pick and roll on offense? Yeah, I think it'll only continue to get better. I mean, the pick and roll offensively and defensively is really what Mark Williams has probably uh, been working on the most since he's been in the league. Because if he can kind of master that the way even you know Cody Zeller was able to just dive down there uh, and feel what the guard was doing, more with Kemba for him and, and even Mason Plumlee, uh, once Mark Williams kind of just masters that with that player, uh, that can be a borderline unstoppable force on offense. And then you have the fact that LaMelo can shoot it. And then you have the fact that Steve Clifford keeps saying that Mark Williams is going to shoot it eventually. Um, you know, that that'll be interesting in, in itself. So uh, yeah, what he's getting the feel for it more and more uh, LaMelo and Williams are getting a feel for each other more and more. And, you know, outside of the number one overall selection and a center from France. uh, I think Mark Williams has a really good shot at being the future center of this franchise uh, for quite a while. I think he's developing. I think you're seeing it in year one, the progress that he's made. Um, So to have a seven footer or, you know, really a little, little bigger than that paired with LaMelo ball uh, running that PNR. I mean, that's, that's juicy stuff right there. I mean, that's, that's something you should really look forward to going forward, uh, especially when they start to perfect it and get the, get really get the feel for it. Juicy. It is juicy. It is about, mm-hmm. it is about feel. It is about rhythm. Cause I don't yeah. think it's quite there yet. And they they were successful yeah. in this one. And I think that's more about, you know, San Antonio and what they've got going on defensively and size. They get rid of Pirtle, so you don't have to deal with that in the middle. This is a great matchup for Mark Williams, uh, you know, in terms of his offense. When he rolls hard, it's amazing, but it feels like it's taking some pretty incredible passes from LaMelo Ball and, you know, Mark Williams using all of that wingspan to make those pick-and-roll plays work. I think you're going to see in the back half of this season and in the next season, hopefully, you're going to see things get a little bit easier in the pick-and-roll and Mark Williams still convert. And then sort of the evolution off of that, and this is what he had with Mason Plumley in the, in the few games that they played together, is the second level is – all right, yes, we've mastered the pick and roll in terms of I can find you, Mark, and you can score. But what is that next level? The next level is, all right, I can find Mark, and then Mark can kick it out. You know, that that is we, – we've seen Mark at times be an underrated passer, uh, but we just haven't seen him much since he's been in the starting position, and I think that's about, you know, just keeping things simple as he attacks matchups that are much more difficult than what he's been dealing with. Uh, since he's been the backup center. You know, things are getting a little bit tougher. And teams are attacking him, both on the defensive end and teams are attacking him on the offensive end in terms of throwing a couple of doubles at him now that he's in the starting position. So interesting to watch. We're going to keep talking about uh, Mark Williams in the second segment coming up on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. Talked a lot about his offense, but what about his defense? I'll I'll spoil it for you. It was pretty great, especially at the end of the game. Four blocks. We'll dive into it. Plus, we got a premiere of Svi. Svi Mikhailuk, a a trade piece coming back to the Hornets. Actually got some run in this one because of a Terry Rozier injury. That's coming up on the Locked On Hornets podcast. But first, got to tell you about our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. The midway point of the NBA season is here. It is now, and it's the perfect time to Download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no sweat first bet up to one. 
thousand dollars that's right thousand dollars that's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app it's safe secure and super easy to use then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained I was just looking up if they if FanDuel had some lines for you on the slam dunk contest and I got this headline for you from FanDuel Sportsbook NBA slam dunk contest odds favor Kenyon Martin Jr. Okay, didn't know that existed. Over Mac McClung. Also didn't know that that player existed. So there you go. Figure out uh, who you want to take there with FanDuel Sportsbook. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. More Locked On Hornets ahead. Back here on the Locked On Hornets podcast, still talking about this win over the San Antonio Spurs, 120-110. to Another big storyline from this game was Mark Williams, who racked up four blocks. Honestly, Nick, I'm just going to say it. Here we go again. I think it should have been six blocks. These scores, and this was the home score, so I can't even use the away team you know, scores <clears throat> excuse here, but they keep taking blocks away from my guy. I thought he had six. You can look at the Twitter timeline of some of the people that follow the Hornets and, and tweet about them, and everybody else thought he had five, six blocks, and we get the final box score. He gets four blocks, which is still tremendous. Nick Richards adds five blocks. As a team, they had 12 block shots in this game. It was a factor, especially late. Mark Williams blocking Bates Jop corner three attempt into the 15th row with 117 to go. It was an incredible block. What did you see from Mark Williams defensively in this game? Yeah, well, I mean, the last two games, he's had big blocks on the perimeter, which is really great to see that they're going to put him out there and he's going to affect shots out there as well. Obviously, Within five feet of the basket, he can change even the dynamic of a single possession with his ability to block. And I think he's got multiple blocks in each of his last or five of his last six games now. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you want to throw a few more on there. That's fine, too. Uh, But he's somebody that's going to make people think about, you know, getting down into the paint and putting a shot up uh, or, you know, maybe putting a bad shot up. And and then, like I said, I, I think the thing that stands out the last two games with the block shots is where some of them have happened and when they've happened. Uh, you know, the one against Trey young, obviously pretty much sealed the game. And then he was able to get up the floor and, and, you know, complete, complete that play and make the basket. So um, where he's making those blocks the last few games is really cool. Cause you know, you could see that once he develops and hopefully as the team gets better happening in really big moments, uh, not just against the, the Spurs, but that was nice to see. He's been making timely blocks. They've been sort of like, you know, I talk about narrative shots all the time. Young players have to come in and if they really want to like raise their raise their profile, raise their ability to like make an all-star game, they have to hit the narrative shots. They have to hit the shots in the fourth quarter when teams need them most so that they, you know, it's 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 one thing to like score 25 points, but can you hit the shot when it matters? Mark Williams showing that he can make the defensive play when it matters. And I also think an interesting timing thing with Mark Williams is that he's making blocks after making mistakes. Like there were a lot of these blocks. If you look at them are recovery blocks because Mark Williams gave up an offensive rebound or because Mark Williams made a mistake in pick and roll coverage and has to recover back. And he uses those amazing physical gifts 
to, you know, essentially get a chase down block because he messed something up in the pick and roll coverage. And so I think what's going to be interesting for Mark Williams, and I wonder if you agree with this, is like as he gets better defensively, as Steve Clifford continues to work with him, his block numbers might go down, but his defense might get better. Yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting. And I think what I'm always watching for with Mark Williams right now at this point is just the matchup. Who is he going up against? Uh, you know, he's going to have a great game and then he's going to go up against Nikola Jokic and, you know, have three fouls really early. Uh, it, it's almost like watching and waiting for a player to find that next level in real time. And I think he will find it. But not every matchup is going to suit him right because he doesn't have the physicality that hopefully five years down the road he will. Uh, But yeah, that would be interesting as he is in better position, not having even guys, you know, attempt shots or just having guys completely throw up something wild because they can't get it around his wingspan uh, could bring his block numbers down. That would be interesting. But I think what, what you're seeing in those timely moments, uh, what you're seeing on the perimeter at the end of games, uh, I think that is something that he could really, you know, develop into a strong suit of like, hey, we can run Mark Williams out there on you, uh, and you're going to have to try to shoot it over him at the end of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And Nick Richards gets five blocks. That number is going to get buried a little bit because, you know, Nick Richards is playing from the bench right now. But I think the same thing with Nick Richards is like, yeah, five block shots, but there were a lot of moments where he was making big defensive mistakes. It's a little bit, I called it in every Hornets box score, like it's a little Jekyll and Hyde, even more so than Mark Williams. Nick Richards is Jekyll and Hyde when it comes to the defensive end. Like he can have this amazing block shot. And then on the following possession, you know, bite hard on a Devontae Graham shot and just give up give up an easy bucket. And so those are the kind of things with the center position that they're really gonna, going to have to figure out that, you know, that might happen in, in the second half of this season or or it might happen, you know, sometime in the offseason as they figure out what they want to do with this position. But you and I aren't the only ones talking about this. Clifford is too after the game. This was a quote uh, courtesy of at British underscore buzz, James Plowright from SI here with the quote on Twitter saying, uh, Steve Clifford on Mark Williams and Nick Richards, quote, they both make exceptional plays due to their size and athleticism. What they need to do on top of that is make less mistakes and not give possessions away. So Steve Clifford, especially with young players, <laughs> never afraid to uh, enter a little truth and pour a little cold water on what was nine combined blocks. Like uh, fans are going to look at those numbers and go, wowie, wowie, wowie. And Steve Clifford trying to say, okay, hold on a minute. But, you know, a lot of those blocks were because they were having to recover off of some bad defensive issues. All right, let's 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 move to, uh, uh, I think, probably the third biggest storyline from this game. There were a lot of storylines in this one, but the third one was Fima Kai Luke, a, a player that comes over in the Jalen McDaniels trade. I don't think a lot of Hornets fans were very familiar with Svi uh, and, and what he could do and what he couldn't do. And Svi comes out in the first quarter, and he plays because Terry Rozier was a late scratch with a hand sprain. I don't think it's anything serious, but he did uh, yeah. miss this final game before the break. So they play Svi. He doesn't take a shot in the first quarter. Then in the second quarter, he takes, I think, eight or nine shots. (laughs) A few of them go in. But the one that went in, and I think everybody was like, whoa, okay, was LaMelo throwing it almost from the logo, alley-oop. Svi gets way up and yams it down. Were you, Nick Carboni, were you surprised that Svi had the hops? Uh, Yeah, I was surprised by Svi in general. I mean, I did not see that coming. 
when they got Svi in the trade, obviously, and, and obviously they got Reggie Jackson as well, who is clearly a buyout candidate. You knew they they weren't going to have a, a buyout situation with Svi just because of, you know, lack of interest, I'm sure, for him on the open market. Uh, so those guys were talking about as kind of just like throwaways in those deals, and all of a sudden Svi comes in here against the Spurs and puts up a dozen points. Um, I don't know how much of that is sustainable, but yeah, I was certainly <laughs> surprised. I mean, he's, he's a guy we've heard of. I, I remember watching in college at Kansas. He's a really, really strong college player. Haven't heard much about him until the trade this week, um, but you know, good for him. I mean, take advantage of an opportunity. Uh, the Spurs are are going to give you that opportunity, um, but yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to see from Svi going forward, but it was it was cool to see that last night. I'll go with that. Oh yes, yes. I was wondering like if you were going to land the plane. Game early I was going. I was wondering if you were going to land the plane, and you did it. You, you had an engine out, and you did it beautifully. Emergency landing on. We'll see what we see. Um, all right. So I have to go over a couple of these V plays. So I just mentioned the alley oop. Okay. Then he followed that up with a Euro and one through his Kansas teammate, Devontae Graham, who now plays for the Spurs. So a little rock chalk there. Uh, he attempted a step back off the bounce. And, you know, I didn't know he had a step back. I mean, I didn't know Svee had a step back shot. And, I mean, he was brave. He gets a back cut dunk in that second quarter. He was all over the place. He also hit a big three. And I think that's the thing. If you were going to say, like, one thing that people knew about Svee is they could shoot threes. And he was struggling early on in this game to shoot those threes. He was missing them. But he did hit a big one in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, so it, it, was, it was nice to Svee. Uh, him do a few things because look, you're, you, you've got a player back in the trade, um, you know, to make at least make things interesting in this, in the second half of this season. I don't think that Svi Makai Luke is necessarily going to be in the long-term plans of the Charlotte Hornets. He's on an expiring contract. They can let him go at the end of this season. Um, but, but look, I mean, if you're cheering for triple doubles from LaMelo ball, having a guy that can knock down three point shots is, is, is not a bad thing. Uh, final question before we go uh, to what did we learn? So the Tankanistas are not going to like this win. You know, that you get a 10-point win over the Spurs, and, and it looked dicey there. It didn't always look like they were gonna, going to win this game. They didn't necessarily dominate this game. It was tied after, after one quarter. It was pretty close after the second quarter. They pulled away in the third quarter, okay? So you've now won a couple in a row. Um, what are your general thoughts on – how what this roster can do moving forward and how that's going to affect their ability uh, to to get one of those two um, draft jewels that are sitting there in, the, in this upcoming draft. Yeah, I mean, I think we they've proven that they're not one of the worst three teams in the NBA. And there is kind of like a, a separator between Houston, San Antonio, you know, Detroit overall, although the matchup for the Hornets – hasn't hasn't planned out panned out but then Detroit against everybody else uh you know has not been good those those are the worst three teams in the league then you've got the Hornets and then I think you go up to the Magic and they're a young team so we'll see what happens to them so I think you're gonna their fans are gonna have to you know maybe not accept the fact but at least come to terms with the fact that you're gonna lose that percent and a half chance at the number one overall selection. It's going to be down to 12 and a half percent come lottery night, probably uh, because you, you weren't able to offload Terry Rozier. You weren't able to offload Gordon Hayward, um, you know, 
at the trade deadline and those guys are healthy and those guys are professional basketball players and they're not bad. <laughs> so you pair that with a healthy LaMelo ball and a surging rookie center in Mark Williams, uh, who is, you know, night in and night out, you know, kind of closing the gap between his play and where Mason Plumley was at, you know, you're kind of intact right now as a team. Um, and, you know, they won consecutive games heading into the all-star break. They haven't won consecutive games at many points during the season. I mean, I think three times maybe at this point. So uh, this is not going to be in my mind, a bottom three team in the league. Um, and, you know, you're just going to have to hope the, the ping pong balls bounce your way. Yeah, and I don't know if you noticed this pregame, but the the like hand device that Kelly Oubre was wearing is gone. The splint is gone. Uh, so he looks like he's closer and closer to returning. So I think you're right. Coming up on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. What did we learn from this pre-All-Star break period? Uh, it's going to look different, certainly, in the post-All-Star break period of this season, but Nick and I are going to look back and uh, see if we can ascertain some things that we learned from that pre-All-Star break period. All ahead on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Back here, final segment. It is a recurring segment here on the Locked On Hornets podcast whenever we have Nick Carboni on the show, and it's called What Did We Learn? Typically, we're looking back at the week that was, but since we are here at the All-Star break, I want to ask Nick, Nick, what have you learned from the entire portion of the season that has come before the All-Star break in terms of the Charlotte Hornets? Well, I've learned what Mitch Kupchak's perspective on this season so far is because we had not heard from him all season until the morning after the trade deadline, when he did a conference call with the media while he was scouting somebody in Paris, somebody he may not end up having the ability to draft. But I think a lot of us think of this season as a, um, a reason to reset and really build around LaMelo. I thought that, you know, if, if I were the general manager, I would have tried to make more trades at the deadline. I'm not sure I would have been successful based on what I had to work with, but I really viewed next off season as a reset. And I don't think Mitch Kupchak views it that way. So I learned that I think in his mind, this isn't as off track as many of us believe that it is. I think that in terms of free agency, if this is a conversation for another podcast, probably, but that they would probably look to add Miles Bridges back into the fold. And there you go. There's a 20 point a game scorer back in the mix. Um, and then you add in layer into that a lottery pick, probably and hopefully a pretty good one. Uh, and, you know, I think he really likes Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward as much as fans may not like, you know, maybe the players, but definitely not the contracts. We'll see about Gordon Hayward because he is going to be on an expiring deal. And he's certainly not the player of the caliber they thought they signed. But in Mitch Kupchak's mind, and if he's going to get these next two years on the extension, I don't think he thinks the Hornets are as off track as, as we all kind of view them to be. It's strange because I look at you know the, the Hornets fan frustration with Mitch Kupchak. And typically when I see fans of an NBA team upset with their GM, it is because of what that GM has done. You know, signing players that, that that GM shouldn't have signed or making deals that, that that GM shouldn't have made deals on. But all the frustration seems to be around what Mitch Kupchak has not done. And I, I, I do think that fans feel 
a little bit gaslit. <laughs> I mean, they feel like, hey, I can see that this isn't working. Why can you not admit that this isn't working? And, and I think a big reason why is because they feel like that they have a little bit of a, a glitch in the matrix in that uh, they are in the driver's seat to re-sign Miles Bridges when that uh, when that NBA investigation is over. And I really feel like there's a feeling within the organization that, hey, we can have our cake and eat it too. We can be bad enough to get enough of a chance at one of those top four picks. It's an amazing draft from really, I think, one to five. Like if you get to six, that's trouble. You know, but but one to five, you've, you've got a, a pretty guaranteed good rotation player, maybe all-star. And if you get Victor, obviously it's it's game-changing. So they think they can do that and also, you know, b- maintain competitiveness next next season. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can make all of that work. Uh, what I've learned in this pre-All-Star break period is that Steve Clifford's a really good coach. And I sort of knew that from his first stint. And, and you know, when he was uh, fired by Mitch Kupchak Kup- and company the first time, you know, I really felt like, you know, Steve Clifford, good coach, uh, did his best to try to revamp things. And, and Rich Cho didn't do him any favors in terms of the players that they were able to acquire and, and make happen. And, you know, his time ran out, but he's a good coach. But honestly, like what he's been able to do this season, just in terms of keeping the team together. I cannot believe that they're still this competitive after so many losses. You look at so many other teams that would have endured what they've endured in terms of injuries and in terms of losses. And I just think he's been able to balance like the the criticism that that tough thing that you have to do as a head coach is just like criticism, trying to install you know some fundamental principles, but at the same time understanding that there are some things outside of your control. I think he's done a fantastic job, and and I think it's going to benefit them in this post-All-Star break period. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can only really point to very small slivers of time this season where the team just didn't have it in them to compete, and, and I don't think you could even go as far as to say they gave up. Maybe a quarter here, a half there, uh, but then they come back out the next game when you least expect it and give Denver a game for you know three or four quarters so uh that in itself has been impressive given you know what they've gone through and and obviously the fact that their season was all but over really by the new year and you know kind of engaging Lamelo and keeping him him engaged and and I, steve clifford has pointed this out the last few nights about Lamelo's defense he thinks has even improved recently so um yeah listen it, it didn't didn't strike the balance that we all thought it would the the offense and the shooting has obviously dipped way down uh that would be a concern for me going forward but you can factor injuries into a little bit of that it has been better lately um and you know the defense under a steve clifford coach team has not been as good as i thought it would be but again look at what they're dealing with and you know anytime i've discussed steve clifford and his future here i've kind of you know, been not sure if he'll be back next year, but it doesn't mm-hmm. really have anything to do with him as a coach. It's more about where the franchise is at and mm-hmm. potentially hitting that reset button. But, you know, based on what I heard from Mitch Kupchak the other day, I'm not sure that'll happen. And I think Steve Clifford would be back. 
Yeah, I don't think they're going to hit the reset button. I'm with you. And if you're not going to hit that reset button, there's no point in taking a chance on finding a coach that may or may not work with LaMelo Ball. We know that Steve Clifford and LaMelo Ball work well together because we've heard it from LaMelo Ball and we've heard it from Steve Clifford. Uh, so we know that those two guys get along. They they think the same way and there's buy-in across the board. And I think all the players get it too. They get that this season has been cursed and so they don't really put a lot of blame on this season on anything but but just dumb luck of, of players getting injured in, in some weird ways. So so I think you're totally right about that. I'll say the final thing that I learned, and, and, and I'll give you a chance if you've got something else that you've learned from this period, is that the Hornets' fundamental problem, the problem that they've had for many years, still remains. They, we just talked about sort of their mental toughness, their resiliency, but they're not physically tough. I mean, that's just bottom line. Like, there's maybe... You maybe name two players on this. I mean, DSJ, I'd put DSJ in the tough category in terms of defensive toughness, but also just physicality. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go hard to the rim. I'm gonna take whatever contact you got, and I'm gonna go after you on the defensive end and make some contact too. Like there just aren't many of those types of players. So if they're looking, you know, to work around the edges next season, I feel like they've really got to look hard at all these players and and figure out, you know, uh, how they can add some of that physical toughness, physicality to this team. Yeah, I've learned uh I, I guess real quick they've drafted too many projects in the last couple of <laughs> couple of drafts. I, I do like Mark Williams though. I think he's he's better than a project player, but um you know to have two lottery picks in one year like Kai Jones and James Booknight that just just doesn't feel like obviously it doesn't feel like James Booknight is going to work out here. I have big hesitations about Kai Jones working out here. And I thought this would be a big year for his development. And, and I was hoping to see a big jump, but um, that's, that's troubling and that's concerning. And it, it it's tough when you go over two in, in one lottery. The book night thing is brutal. I don't know if you saw the, there was a video of a recent G league game in which he shoved a player in the back and got ejected. Um, so like that's, that doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that a player does when they are on the verge of making an NBA, <laughs> I can't even call it a comeback because he's never been yeah. there, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a bigger recent bust than Booknight if he never makes the rotation again, but I can't – I really can't yeah. think of it. I, that's amazing to think that that might be the biggest uh, – uh, of of a lot of draft disappointments in, in Hornets history, especially recent Hornets history – yeah, book night may may take the cake. It's it's really disappointing to see. Yeah, it's sad, and uh, yeah, and and he's not even, you know, being that bust at the NBA level. I mean, this is all happening in Greensboro at this point. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we uh, will be back tomorrow with David Walker to talk all. Hopefully, Walker Mail too to talk about. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm not bitter. Uh, <laughs> I thought if you, you hear him on w- that side of the screen really well. Ah, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, Nick, you're so sweet. Um, But I I do mean this from the bottom of my heart. If he's on WFNZ today, I'm going to be upset. Also, if you hear him on WFNZ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get on the WFNZ uh, text line and just text in all caps, hooky. Just text it over and over, (laughs) spam the text line with hooky to let him know. Uh, what you think about him not being on the Locked on Hornets podcast today. But I do appreciate Nick for joining me. Fantastic show. Tomorrow we're going to have David Walker. We're going to talk about the All-Star break. It's David's favorite time of year, so make sure you're tuning in for that. And also, 
Uh, thank you for making Lockdown Hornets your first listen today. Make your second listen game-to-game NBA every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game-to-Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game-to-Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. For Nick Carboni, I'm Doug Branson saying go Hornets, go America, enjoy the All-Star break. Let's swarm Charlotte.